0: $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at Mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast, episode 18. You are listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with Dr. Abby Medcalf. Change your relationship even if your partner won't do a thing. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Relationships Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Abby Metcalf. So happy you're here with me today. How's it going out there? I don't know if you're listening to me in the car or sitting at your desk or what you're doing. Are you supposed to be working right now? Are you doing the wrong thing? Um, So, you know, hey, just pay attention to the road or pay attention to your work, you know, but also, hey, pay attention to me. So, Today's broadcast is all about your lizard brain and how it's keeping you stuck and very specific ways to break free. Today's broadcast is packed with great information and very specific tips based on your own, what I call a fear type or lizard brain type. And I'm going to help you identify your lizard brain today. That's what you're going to get out of today's broadcast. You're going to learn how you react. You've heard of the fight, flight, or freeze, I'm sure. Well, you're going to learn why you react initially from the fear part of your brain, which is that part, and how that's getting in the way of your various relationships, especially with your partner, but, you know, at work, with your sister, with friends, whoever it is. I'm also going to teach you, so after we learn what type you are, you're going to learn the specific practical tools and solutions to help you connect With yourself and others, depending on whether, again, you're a fighter, whether you flee or whether you freeze. We're going to, I'm going to explain all those today. And then I'm going to give you, here's the really good part for those of you who are very focused on your partners and on other people and it being their fault. I'm going to give you specific tools you can use with your partner or anyone else, depending on whether you're partner or the other person is a fighter, flea, or or freezer. So we're going to kind of learn, you're going to learn today sort of how to diagnose them for lack of a better term, and then how you should be reacting to them when you're in arguments. So uh, we're going to cover all that today. It is really a lot of information today. So if you don't have a pen and paper handy, like again, if you're driving or doing something else, it's fine. Uh, the show notes will have all the top points as always. And I'm going to feature a lot of this on a nice, big, fat blog post. So you can also consume it that way later if you just want to read and get, again, the high points. Um, and But it'll be longer than the show notes and be more full and have a lot more uh, detail and that kind of thing. So, all right. So let's jump in. Now, right this minute, I want you to imagine yourself walking in the woods. There you are, you're walking in the woods, and you come upon a snake. Yikes, ah, you you know, you, there it is. There's a little snake. Now, there are three things that that snake will do when it sees you. It'll attack you, fight, it'll try to bite you, it'll slither away, it In other words, flee or, you know, flight, we call it flight or fleeing. Or, and this is the one people forget a lot, it will stay very, very still and hope the danger, you, passes by without seeing it. That's freezing. Okay. Now imagine yourself walking into your house and your partner is angry about something. There are three things and only three things you'll do generally i should say if you're a super enlightened human you might not do these things but the rest of us generally do these things at least as a first response you'll attack your partner back fight why are you in a bad mood what did i do to deserve this you know what's going on i hate when you're always in a bad mood you know, you'll fight you'll find a way to get the heck out of there you'll flee So you'll see the partner in a bad mood and you will make a hasty exit stage left. You will figure out a way to get out of their space um, and go do something else or distract yourself with something else. Maybe you go stuff feelings with food or maybe you physically leave the room, you'll do something. Or three, you will hope, the danger passes. You will lay low, you will fly below the radar that evening if it's home after a day of work, and you will freeze. You will just sort of try to make yourself as invisible and small as possible. All right. Now, you act like a snake, you know, you have these same reactions because when you're upset, you've engaged a part of the brain called the amygdala. Now, the amygdala is located in the limbic system, and it's in charge of a lot of stuff mostly things like fear and aggression. And I'm going to throw a little science at you. You know, I like to do that sometimes. Some of this you've heard on other podcasts. Uh, I'm hoping that when you hear it a few times, it'll really sink in and you'll start to really have this uh, language in your own head. I'm not going to make it super complicated. We're not going to get into major brain science here, but I do want to explain just a few things. So your limbic system is a part of your brain that evolved and in our... It's our, all about our behavioral and emotional responses, especially when it comes to behaviors we need for survival. So things like eating, reproduction, and reacting to scary things in your environment. That's a survival skill, running from a tiger or reacting to a, you know a big, hairy, poisonous spider that's about to bite you. So... Now, your limbic is made up of a few things besides your amygdala, which I mentioned. It also houses structures, um, your hippocampus is there, your thalamus, your hypothalamus, your basal ganglia. There's a few other things too, actually. So that's that part of your brain. Now, your thalamus and hypothalamus, they're all about producing uh, essential hormones. They, They regulate your thirst, your hunger, your mood, okay? Your basal ganglia, that part of that limbic, is all about your reward processing and your habit formation. Um, There's some movement and some learning there too. The hippocampus, which is super important, but we're not going to get into much today, is basically the learning center of of your brain, that your hippocampus is all about learning. And it plays a key role in the formation of any new memories you have about past experiences. This is where resentment is, lives and learns and all that. But again, we'll use that in another podcast. So the structure we're going to focus on in today's broadcast is this amygdala. Now, the amygdala, as I said, is your emotional center of the brain. So it's where you get feelings like pleasure, fear, anxiety, anger. They all say all come from here. The amygdala also is the thing that attaches emotion to your memories. So I know. Uh, so it, it's got this very important role in determining how strongly those memories are stored. Memories that have some really robust emotional meaning, those are the ones that stick, and it plays a key role in forming new memories specifically related to fear. I mean, your amygdala is busy all day. Fearful memories are able to be formed after only a few repetitions. Isn't that sad? Positive ones are not. They take a lot longer, but those fear ones, because it's a survival thing, they're in there really quickly. So, you know, if a, If, if every time you saw a tiger, you didn't remember that that's the thing that could kill you, you wouldn't be seeing many tigers because you'd get eaten very quickly. So these memories, you know, had to be attached very quickly to emotion and had to be very, you know, really not needing a lot of repeating to get learned. Otherwise you didn't survive. So it makes sense. I'm sure. But, and the positive things were good, but we didn't need them in the same way. It wasn't as immediate or as urgent. So there you go. Now, in fact, so your amygdala is always on point scanning for any threats at all in your environment. This could be anything, again, from like a tiger about to eat you to your partner keeping their mouth open when they're eating. You, you Your brain, your amygdala is a diva. And overreacts to everything. So it treats both of these things, a tiger about to eat you and your partner eating with their mouth open, as threats, as huge threats, big life-changing threats, That things that could really get you. And I know it sounds crazy, but it's how your brain works. So when you focus on you or someone else's weaknesses, when you're focused on that stuff, you know, their limitations, what they're doing wrong, whenever you focus on what's wrong, it reinforces fear, which lights up this amygdala, it lights it up. Now, I bet this has happened to you. I'm going to give you a little example. You start thinking of something your partner did that pissed you off, and it just makes you angrier and angrier. You're thinking about it. It's going over and over in your head. You get more and more pissed. Then you start thinking of all the other annoying things you've done. Sorry, they've done, not you. You're perfect. You start thinking about all the other annoying things your partner has done, and it's all you can think about before you know it, it seems like annoying things are all your partner does. That's all they do is annoying things. They leave the cap off the toothpaste, the toilet seat's in the wrong position. There's dirty dishes in the sink. There's a bottle cap on the counter there, right? It goes on and on. So this obviously you can see how this is a big problem, right? Now, When you get stuck in these repetitive cycles of negativity with your partner, or, you know, by the way, or your sister, your boss, or your friend, it doesn't matter. We, you know, this podcast is mostly about your partner, but uh, you keep this amygdala activated. So your brain basically gets hijacked. When your limbic system is turned on, you can't reason, you can't think things through, you can't hear suggestions, your brain is hijacked. This is why when you're in an argument, you can't remember all the great tools you learned in therapy or that great online course or this wonderful podcast. You know how those fly out the window? Yeah. So the good news is you can change this. Uh, You know me, I'm always about like scaring the hell out of you and then (laughs) telling you how it can be made better. So the first step, is to recognize which way you usually respond. Now, I'm gonna take you in depth into each category. Do you respond with fight, flight, or freeze? But before we jump in, I want you to remember a few things as we go along. So one, not every characteristic in each category may apply to you. You might think you're in more than one category, and that obviously we all have a little bit of all of them, I'm sure, but you should see yourself predominantly within one of the types. You know, when I'm describing it, you're like, oh, that's really me. You know, even though maybe you do some of the other things, that's really you. So I want you to focus on that one as we talk. The second thing I want you to remember is you are not your fear. When you're calm and relaxed, you can be very different. And and again, my podcast and other information and tools help you do that. And some tools I'm going to give you today will help you do that so you don't have to react from these places. And then the third point I want to say before we jump in is that anger might not be the only time you experience this fight, flight, or freeze response. It also happens with other emotions, uh, depression, anxiety, loneliness, overwhelm, sadness, helplessness, hopelessness, rage, jealousy, uh, resentment, impatience, annoyance, frustration. You see there's a list. So any of those can tick off the one of these responses. Okay. So Let's learn about you before we start diving into your partner and what they're doing. Uh, We're going to go in depth. I'm going to outline the characteristics, behaviors, and feelings, as well as the positive side of each of these categories. I know, you didn't think there was a positive to this, did you? But there is. So let's talk first about that fight response. Now. If you're a fighter, you're focused on arguing your point and being right. <laughs> you dig in your heels, and some people might even call you stubborn. Not me, of course. I don't judge, but well, I do in my head. But uh, you know, I'd never call you that, of course. But some people might call you stubborn. Let's say you get defensive. You stand by your beliefs first and foremost. It's possible you've lost your temper before and then feel bad about it later, but you justify your reasons. Does any of this sound familiar? Have you ever been in an argument with someone and then they said they were done with you and left the room, but you chased them down? Are you that person who chases someone down the hall? (laughs) If you're laughing right now, you're a fighter. Uh, When your sibling, friend, partner, insert difficult person here is talking to you, you've likely already been thinking of your response and often misunderstand what they're saying due to your impatience to say what you want to say. The longer the argument or situation goes on, the more rigid you're likely to become. Again, I say with love, this is, you know, this is just how it is. So, if you're a fighter, you might have a hard time calming down. It might take you even a few days to see reason or, you know, come around. Even after the other person apologizes, you might find yourself still feeling angry and not able to fully accept their apology and move on quickly. You might notice that you actually look forward to fighting in a way. I know some of you actually kind of get off on this a little bit. You feel right and you can't wait to express your opinion and you feel almost maybe like a high or an out-of-body experience when you're really in it, you know, when you're having that argument. If you see red and feel like you can't calm yourself once you get going, you're likely a fighter. Okay. Now, some of the feelings you probably identify with or most often with, I should say, can be things like anger, resentment, frustration, or rage. Those are often things that you can uh, access quite a bit. So now it's important to know, like I said, that there's a good side to being um, any of these roles. And there's a good side to being a fighter. Fighters, what I love about them is they want to engage If you're a fighter, you want to engage. So you're willing to show up and talk about what's hard. Not everybody's willing to do that. You really want to connect. You really want to engage. That's why you chase people down the hall. Your true motivation under all the wrangling, arguing, and maybe yelling is that you just want to connect because it's not happening. You push harder and try to control more to make it happen. That's where you get into trouble. Underneath the fighters, you know, that kind of tough exterior... Is someone who just wants to bond and join with others. When you feel like another person isn't listening or doesn't understand, you go into this fear mode and fight. The good news is that once you feel a connection or a bond, once you know the other person is in it with you, you won't feel a need to fight. And there can often be really sort of great loving conversations. So that's that's the good news about if, if you're in this category. Okay. So let's talk about the flight or flee response. And uh, this, this one is, again, really common. I myself might be one of these, so I'll talk about it from that. So the person who flees can look different, you know, depending on the situation. So the obvious forms of flight are physically leaving a room. That's fleeing, right? You just walk out uh, or leave the room or you leave an argument because you've had enough. Avoiding conflict or fights altogether... Or it could be someone who, you know, abandons their family or relationship, just never shows up again, you know, goes out of the house for a pack of cigarettes and never comes back kind of thing. So that's obvious forms of fleeing. But there are other ways fleeing shows up that you might not consider as readily. So avoiding endings of things, such as maybe not showing up for your last day of work, your last session with a therapist, things like that. Don't show up for a farewell party for a friend, you know, they are never going to see again. Maybe you call in sick when things are difficult at work or don't say goodbye when you're leaving a dinner party or a gathering or something like that. These are all forms of fleeing. These are all kind of this conflict avoidance at the end. Getting engrossed or lost in social media, emails, the internet, video games, or your smartphone are also forms of escape or fleeing. Now, Some fleeing can of course be helpful. I just want to say this, you know, taking a 10 minute break from work or the kids while playing a game on your iPhone is a great way to give your mind a little break, but other escaping fleeing is not so healthy. You know, doing these activities compulsively or in larger chunks adds up to avoidance. So, I mean, are you really supposed to be trolling Facebook at work? Really? Do they do you have a job where you really get paid for that? Maybe you do. I have some clients who work at Facebook and Google and stuff, so maybe you do. But (laughs) I think in general, most of us don't. Now, with the advent of you know smartphones and these technologies being made to be so addictive, these types of behaviors are things many people do, no matter you know, if you're a fighter, flight, or freezer. But if you also do the other behaviors on listing here, you know, maybe you do the social media stuff, but you also notice you avoid endings and things like that, then you're likely someone who flees when they feel uh, threatened or get scared. So just, you know, take it with a grain of salt. You might be someone who's addicted to social media, let's say, and you're a fighter. That's very possible. So that this little piece I do sort of pull out because it doesn't always match. It can match everybody pretty easily. Now there's other types of escape also, which include using drugs and alcohol, food, shopping, could be even exercise or sex as a means to avoid or not deal with a situation or feeling. So these are really important to notice because sometimes things can seem, you know, you could use work, you know, and, or exercise are often seen as positive things, but that can really be a negative if you take it too far and you're using them all the time to avoid. If you're always at work so you can avoid, you know, having to have hard conversations at home, that's a problem. Okay. Now, some of the feelings that you identify with, I said I would talk about the different feelings everyone identifies with. Some of the feelings you identify with if you're a fleer, uh, well, what feelings? <laughs> you're so busy avoiding the ones you don't like and figuring out ways not to feel uncomfortable. Your uh, problem is often that you don't attach to feelings. You know, you don't attach to that because you're trying to get away from them. So, uh, yeah, that might be you if you notice that. Now, As with the fighter, there's a good side to the person who flees or takes flight. All that running also means that sometimes you bump into really cool things. You're generally not afraid to check out new things, talk to new people, seek out new methods for feeling better or different. Not all these are negative. That's the good news. If you're in this category, you could use your willingness to try new things to maybe take on the role of finding new ways of communicating with your partner. Uh, You're the type who would find a new therapist or a great weekend retreat to go on together. These These are good things. If you're at odds with your partner, maybe you'll enroll the two of you in a baking class or paddle boarding workshop or whatever. You know, novelty is one of the things the brain strives for. And it's a key to having that in love feeling. Uh, a lot of this work has been done by um, Helen Fisher at Rutgers University. It's very interesting. And I think I have a blog post on the website that we'll link to <laughs> if I have this one up on novelty. So novelty is great for couples. Um, so, you know, finding new and interesting things to do together can create a bond and connection. And that's good. So it's, just think if you're in this category, instead of running from, think of moving towards something or someone who can help you and your relationship. So using your fleeing response for good, not evil. There you go. Okay. Last but not least is the freeze response. We did fight, flight, and now freeze. Now, if you're a freezer, you mainly try to stay under the radar. Basically, you're hoping that if you lay low, whatever damage, you know, danger is around, we'll pass on by. Consistent procrastination, certain types of avoidance, and taking no actions are all things freezers do. That those are pretty common. You know, maybe making no decision is how you make your decisions. You spin on spin, you know, spin over and over on things that are bothering you, but you don't take action to make changes. Instead, you get into what, you know, we call analysis paralysis and you just get stuck. So it ends up being by default that things happen, not by choice. Um, So maybe like an example could be maybe your mother calls and asks when she can visit and you just don't call back. You don't want her to come over and you don't want to have the conversation telling her that, so you avoid her in hopes that she'll, you know, forget you and go bug your brother instead. Uh, Maybe you need to call a work colleague back, but you didn't finish the project you were supposed to have done, so you avoid the meeting. You then keep procrastinating and making the situation worse. Or you might be someone who makes an appointment for something inconsequential like, Could be getting your nails done or your oil changed. But when you realize you can't make it, you feel anxious and upset about canceling and you just don't do it. You do nothing. You don't go, you don't cancel nothing. And instead you avoid it. You get your nails done or your oil changed somewhere else next time, you know, like Alaska or a different state or something. So some of the feelings you identify with often if you're a freezer are anxiety, depression, beating yourself up, overwhelm and regret. Now, as with the fighter and the fleer, The freezer has a good side too, because thinking a lot isn't all bad. It can be, but it isn't all bad. You can think outside the box. You think deeply about others. You're generally super thoughtful. Thinking is a good thing when it's not taken to the extreme and its positive side can create deep connection and love. So that's a good thing. Okay. The bottom line is when you're acting in one of these fear-based modes, whether you fight, flee, or freeze, you can't remember any of the great communication tools you've learned or the tips and strategies you've been practicing because you can't access the part of the brain where that stuff is saved. Brain imaging has shown that when the amygdala is activated by any negative emotion, it actually interferes with the brain's ability to solve problems or to figure out, you know, how to get you unstuck. Here's the good news. Positive emotions and thoughts do the opposite. They help you with creative problem solving and strategic thinking. What you want to do, and here's the key, drum roll please, this is it, listen up. What you want to do is switch from your amygdala to another part of your brain called your prefrontal cortex. And you've heard me talk about this in other podcasts. I'm going to talk about it a little bit here. Your prefrontal cortex, which is in a very different part of your brain, is where all your problem-solving, rational thinking, long-term planning, values, judgment, all that lives in your prefrontal cortex. So the goal is to get out of the negative emotion of the amygdala and into the compassionate, open, and problem-solving prefrontal cortex. If you want to get out of the fighting, the frustration, the anger, you got to engage that prefrontal cortex so you can get into that connection, that peace, that fulfillment. That's where that all is. Uh, and I love this book called uh, Buddha Brain by author Rick Hansen. I'll have a link to it in the show notes for you. And he discusses research that shows that activation in the left prefrontal cortex, the left part of your prefrontal cortex, is associated with more positive emotions. This left prefrontal cortex is a major part of actually controlling negative emotion. So engaging this part of your brain is critical if you want to control all that negative thinking. So we want to be in that prefrontal cortex. That's where we want to be living. You'll know when you've engaged your prefrontal cortex because you become energized, you get excited, hopeful, compassionate, you become curious, uh, you're more thoughtful, more patient. You create this really, it's like a new energy in your being. And this is exactly what you need to create real change and get yourself unstuck. Now, before we move on to, you know, my big strategies for dealing with all this, I want to say a word about procrastination just really quickly, Now, although the freezers out there, you people who freeze, take the procrastination to like a higher art form, you might be a fighter or a fleer and still struggle with procrastination. We all know this. Much like the addiction to maybe like a cell phone or something. This can be shared everywhere. No matter which category you fall into, you'll notice that after you've finally done the thing you were avoiding, you say to yourself, well that wasn't so bad. Why did I wait so long? Why did I wait so long to do that? Why was I procrastinating? And you think this because when you take action, you've left the amygdala's stranglehold and and your rational thinking brain can finally kick in. You you you've unhijacked your brain at that point. Your prefrontal cortex or you know, this rational brain, it knows it wasn't a big deal to hand in that paper to your colleague or finally get the root canal or whatever your rational brain can problem solve, plan ahead. Again, it can prioritize and all the good stuff that makes you effective in the world. So you might procrastinate, but you really have to look at the three categories and see which of them is mostly you. So not just the little pieces of them. Okay. Now, So hopefully by now you're riding in your car or reading or listening to this or whatever you're doing and you're thinking, ah, I know what I am. I see what I am. So what I want to give you now are specific strategies for shutting that down, for getting out of that fight, flight, or freeze mode so that you can get right prefrontal cortex. You can get over there and start really being effective. Now, because what should you do about it? What's next? So I'm going to give you these specific tools and strategies for each category, but first I'm going to give you one tool that everyone needs to master regardless of your category. Okay. So I'm going to give you specific tools in a minute, hang on there. But right now I'm gonna give you the one tool that everybody needs to master. And that one strategy is another drum roll, self-awareness. I could give you 100 effective and awesome strategies and tools, but if you don't, remember to use them in these difficult moments. They're useless. I talk about self-awareness a lot and you might be sick of hearing it. Oh, well, put on your big boy or big girl pants. You're going to hear it again. You know this from previous experiences. You've read books, articles, watched videos, maybe even gone to counseling and workshops, but you keep falling back in the same old habits and you quote unquote, like forget To use the great tools you've learned. It's because first and foremost, you're not self-aware when you need to be. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Self-awareness means training your attention to be in the present moment and not in the past or future. Now, I've talked about this before. Research shows. This is Matt Killingsworth's research. It's hard to say that. (laughs) His research shows that people spend about 47%, almost 50% of their time thinking about something other than what they're doing. They're distracted. You're on autopilot for a huge chunk of your day and you don't even realize it. So you're distracted, you're thinking about other things besides what you're doing, and believe it or not, that's the root cause of a lot of your issues. Right now, listening to this podcast, maybe you've been distracted a few times. Statistics say you were. You know, maybe you were driving and you had to attend back to driving differently. Um, Maybe you started, something I said sparked something in your head about something else and you kind of daydreamed for a minute and went down that road and then came back. That's what we do. We all do it. Everybody does it. It's very hard to stay on task the whole time. So now... There's also research that shows that couples who take part in mindfulness training are more satisfied with the relationship, more optimistic about their partners and feel closer and more accepting of each other. So you can see why it's important, right? It really is important, this mindfulness stuff. The good news is that you don't need to meditate for hours a day or join the nearest Zen Buddhist temple to work on your self awareness on this mindfulness, this self awareness. Actually, it's, I think it's best to work on your awareness during your busy day. That's because that's when you need it the most. If you haven't checked it out already, please listen to my podcast, which is titled uh, why self-awareness is the most important thing in your relationship. I give lots of information and tools in that one, so I won't spend time here on that. I'm going to link to it again in the show notes, but you'll see that when you incorporate these self-awareness tips and strategies, you'll get yourself out of the fear-based amygdala and into the open and problem solving prefrontal cortex. But for now... For those of you listening, here's a quickie tool that I did not share in that other podcast. I know this is special just because you've got this far in the broadcast and you're listening. This is a quick tool I didn't mention that will help tremendously in setting you up for better self-awareness. And I call it the wake up right tool. (laughs) So researchers at the university, I think it's called T-I-E-R in Germany. I apologize to any of my German people listening. I think that's how you say that. They found that we get, this research found that we get stressed right at the beginning of our day just by waking up. Did you know, I did not know this till I read this research. It's amazing. Within minutes, within minutes of waking up in the morning, you release a bunch of stress hormones because you start thinking of the day you have ahead. And this triggers this fight, flight, or freeze response we've been talking about. This in turn releases a stress hormone called cortisol, which you've probably heard of. I know I've talked about before, and it releases this into your bloodstream. So I know. So to combat this, you want to start your day with self-awareness. You want to wake up. Here's what I want you to do. Wake up and bring your attention to your breathing. Just feel yourself sit up in bed. Don't do this laying down because you'll fall back asleep. Just feel yourself sitting on the bed. Bring your awareness to the here and now, you know, to your body, to your, where you're sitting. And then set a positive intention, such as something like, I'm relaxed and happy. Today's going to be a great day. I'm energized and capable of taking on this new day. Anything. Anything you want. Some great little affirmation, intention, goal, whatever you want it to be. This literally, literally takes about 20 seconds. I timed myself this morning. It was 19 seconds, okay? So if you don't have 19 seconds, give me a freaking break. There's something really wrong. Now... Here's what I don't want you to do. Here's what I don't want you to do this in tomorrow morning when you wake up. Do not use your snooze button. Don't turn this off. Cut it out. Get grow up now. Listen up. Do not turn this off just because you like your snooze, because I'm gonna bring some reality at you that you need to hear. This is crucial. People, this is crucial, and I'm going to tell you why. There are actually four key reasons why hitting that snooze button is super bad for you, not just a little bad for you, but super bad for you. Number one, snoozing ruins the behavioral conditioning between the stimulus, which is your alarm clock, and your response, which is getting your ass out of bed. Now, if you were to get out of bed the first time the alarm goes off, it would eventually become an automatic response and the struggle would go away. Yeah, really. You're, you're habituating yourself to actually that that stimulus doesn't create a response. You don't have that automatic thing. You, you, you want to be Pavlov's dog here. You want to have the bell ring and you want to salivate. You just want to jump. You know, the alarm goes off. You want to jump out of bed. Uh, it really works. I guarantee it. Okay. So get your ass out of bed. That's one. Two, that morning alarm struggle has lasting effects on your day. I don't know if you realize this, but because of something called sleep inertia grogginess, and that leaves you weak and struggling to perform even basic tasks. Studies have found sleep inertia can take two to four hours to shake even when you feel fully alert. I know. So you're actually not performing tasks as well. You're actually, your brain is still groggy for hours, even if you think you're up. And, you, and you're, so you're going to be uh, not as patient. You're not going to be as kind. You're not going to be as open. You're not going to be able to problem solve as well. You're not, do you hear me? Yeah, for hours. The third reason is from, uh, I take this from Robert Rosenberg. He's the medical director of the Sleep Disorder Center of Prescott Valley and Flagstaff, Arizona. And he says that if you snooze and start to fall back asleep after your first alarm, he's not the only one to say this, but when you snooze and you start to fall back to sleep after your first alarm, your body gears up for another full cycle of sleep. So when that second alarm jerks you awake during the beginning of your next sleep cycle, that incomplete cycle is what leaves you with this worse sleep inertia. That's what makes it so bad. And again, you end up with this sleep and grogginess residue, which makes you more tired all day. (laughs) Then, I know you, I see you people at Starbucks, you're likely to crave coffee or sugar for half the day at least just to get yourself moving because of this sleepiness that keeps coming on and this grogginess and this, you know, you're not feeling sharp, you're not feeling with it. This in turn affects your nighttime rest because you have all this sugar and caffeine in your system. And you can see this nasty cycle that's taking place in your life. It's terrible. And then you feel exhausted in the morning, want to press the snooze again, you know, we're, and we're back in it. So, and lastly, and you know what, all that is the, you know, the, all this physiology that's going on. I have to tell you, this to me is the most important. It's the, and it's the psychological one, not the physiological one. When, you, when that alarm goes off, this is your first commitment of the day and you're not keeping it. You, your self-integrity is done. It's, it's, it's already blown for the day. You starting your day with these thoughts of it's not enough. I didn't get enough sleep. I'm tired. I didn't get enough. What a shitty, sucky way to start your day. I didn't get enough sleep. You don't want to start your day with this as your first thought. So, from a psychological and a physiological perspective, get your ass out of bed as soon as you hear that alarm. I guarantee you, I said it, I said it, I said guarantee and I meant it, that you'll feel better, more alert, and never want to hit the snooze again if you do this for like two weeks straight. I'm serious. Do this for two weeks. Take my challenge. Go ahead. Take my challenge right in. Tell me about it. Tell me how wrong I am because I won't be. You're going to see that this changes. And I need to tell you, I was an avid snooze alarm person for years, decades, decades. <laughs> so I get it. I am not one of those, oh, I was always been a morning gal. I was always a night owl. I tended bar for years. I would be up till five, six in the morning. I mean, I, I get it. I get it. And... When you start to live your life differently, you will feel it and you'll know what I mean. I say all the time that your day doesn't start when your alarm goes off. Your day starts when you set your alarm. When you set that alarm at night and you make a commitment to get to bed at a decent hour and you committed to waking up at a certain time, that's when your day starts. So really focus on this, people. Okay, I'm dumb bitching at you. I'll get back to the podcast. Sorry. I know I digressed a little bit, but I had to say it. All right. So now I'm going I'm to come at you with some individual strategies for each of the categories, the fight, flight, or freeze. Now, I just want to make a note. I know you only want to hear about your category. So you're in there thinking, how do I fast forward this? How do I get through this? Nope, nope. I'll tell you why. The tips I give for each category could be helpful to you, even if you don't fit into that category. So I want you to listen up, even if you're not sure if something is a direct match for you. Okay? All right. So hang in there. Come on. Stay with me. Good. Good. So if you're a fighter, if you're a fighter, your job is to cool yourself down, as you might imagine. Your goal is to act, not react as much as possible. Now, how do you accomplish this magical feat? Here are two effective things you can do. And they really work. One is to take three cleansing breaths. Now, a cleansing breath is a simple but special kind of breath. And there's a lot of stuff written out there. You can go look it up yourself if you want it different. I do the cleansing breath this way. This is how I was taught many years ago, and this is how I do it. You breathe in through your nose for a count of four. You hold your breath. You hold that breath for a count of five. And you exhale through your mouth for a count of eight. So it's a much slower exhale, okay? So breathe in for four, hold, two, three, four, five, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's kind of how you do it, right? And it do that even just once, but I recommend maybe doing three of those, but just... Uh, And this is different. This cleansing breath is different than like, you know, counting to 10 or holding your breath or whatever hell else I've heard. Uh, This really will help kind of reset that fight, flight, or freeze response. And that's what you're looking for. So... And the other one that's excellent if you're a fighter is to identify what I call a wake-up word. I've talked about this and other things. It's a neurolinguistic or NLP technique, neurolinguistic programming technique. And basically, it's this. You, you and your partner identify a word that makes you both happy, any word you want. So I have clients that use the word... Uh, I've used the word glitter. I like that one because it's funny. I've had clients use like Christmas. I have. <laughs> I had clients who use the word dildo. Dildo makes you laugh. Come on, it's a funny word. Um, whatever it is, you know that uh, you know makes you smile, makes you laugh. Uh, will is something positive, a positive connotation between you and your partner. And basically, when you're in an argument, something is happening and you're fighting. What you want to do is use that word. And what you do when the word gets used is you just stop. Literally, you just stop. You stop whatever you were saying. You stop whatever you were doing. You just stop. You don't retort. You don't get defensive. You don't say, yeah, but. You just stop. It means the other person's not hearing you. They're not listening. So if you set up this word, it's really helpful because your partner, you know, if you're the fighter, your partner can say, hey, glitter, And you just, whatever you were saying, you got to stop in your tracks. And it just, it's an awareness for you to bring you back. Guess what? Self-awareness to bring you back to the moment to go, oh, I was on autopilot there. I was off and running in my little argument. I didn't realize. Now I can reset. The person wasn't listening. So why are you yelling? Why are you, or talking? Or why are you doing anything? If the person's not listening, it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of their time. So instead you stop. And really what you want to do there is, you know, how else can you say what you were saying? Or do you even need to keep saying what you were saying? You just want to reset, do a little reset there. Okay, so those are your two ideas if you identify with being a fighter. Now, if you identify with being a fleer, (laughs) someone who flees or has flight, uh, you want to work on staying put, right? That's the opposite of fleeing is staying put. Your goal is to make yourself available to have conversations with your partner. Now, here's some... I like these tools a lot. I'm going to throw at you right now. So my first tip, if you like to flee, is for one week, keep a log of how you feel when you have the urge to escape in some way. So if you have the urge to drink, to do drugs, sex, physically leave, go shop, you know, the urge to get on your phone, whatever it is, just keep a little log of that feeling and notice the time of day and any other, you know, defining characteristics. It's always after work. It's always after uh, I talk to my kids. It's always when I've, you know, had an argument with my husband, whatever it is. You can do this on your smartphone. You can jot thoughts in a little notebook, create a spreadsheet on your computer. I don't care. Whatever works for you, just do it. And at the end of the week, I want you to look for patterns of when you escape in unhealthy ways. Do you, you know, again, do you always need a drink when you get home from work? Do you need a smoke break every time your boss has issues with you? Uh, Did your, leave your coworkers farewell, farewell party without saying goodbye? You know, if you regularly leave the house to exercise, that's fine. However, make sure it's not instead of talking things out. Remember, I talked about that before. Okay, so that's a tip you can do. Another one, which is super easy and very effective, is if you have an issue with your partner, make a commitment for a specific time to speak. Yeah, this way you can't avoid the conversation or at least not as easily. So, uh, I assign financial meetings to my clients quite a bit. I assign them to do financial meetings, and I definitely have clients who avoid them at all costs. <laughs> like one person in the partnership will often be avoiding them. So, I always tell people don't just leave that to chance. You know, make an appointment time. Saturday morning at nine, we're meeting to do this. Remind them Friday night, tomorrow, 9 a.m., we're going to sit and do our financial meeting. You know, again, you, you get down and then that morning you wake up, go, okay, 15 minutes till the meeting. You know, you really <laughs> zero in on that. So this is a tip you can use obviously either way. If, if you're the person who likes to flee or if the other person does and you're trying to lock them in. Okay. And then my last thing is you can do some sort of grounding exercise. Part of fleeing is not being in the, you know room and we do these things called grounding exercises which really help you orient to the present reality to being the here and now. So uh for example if you're upset you could just simply remind yourself that feelings aren't facts. You know, make this your mantra for a moment and get yourself in the moment and just keep saying that this is not a fact. This is not a fact and just let that anxiety slip away and get into the reality of the here and now. Like that what I'm feeling isn't a fact. My partner's not leaving me right now. You know, whatever craziness has been in your head, you, you're really, what you're doing is sort of disputing it, whatever you, you're you thinking is a fact. Another grounding exercise is to eat or drink something slowly and examine it, really easy. So get yourself, uh, you know, a glass of water and just slowly drink it you know, feel the coolness of the glass in your hand, really focus on how it feels going over your tongue and down your throat. If you can feel it going into your stomach, down your esophagus, just really focus on whatever that is. There's something, maybe a warm cup of tea and you can smell it and, you know, really get all your senses engaged as much as you can. That's a grounding exercise. Brings you, you know, something sour, sweet, bitter, salty. It just brings you right in the moment. What's the texture like? Is it hot or cold? You know, really describe it to yourself And it brings you right totally here and now. Um, And then lastly, you could simply, you know, breathe and literally feel your feet on the ground. Just put all your energy, all your focus towards your feet. And wiggle your toes, feel all the points that your feet are in contact with the floor or on your shoe. Bring yourself fully to the moment, ground yourself to the floor. I I often will imagine roots growing out of my feet and into the floor and just really grounding me to the space. It's really, really effective. Okay. So there's your tips for if you're a fleer. And then finally, if you're a freezer, if you're someone who freezes in stressful situations of any kind, your goal is to be loud and proud. You want to make decisions and stop fretting over them. You want to tell folks what you want and what you need. Now you might need to figure that out for yourself first, but you know, you want to make commitments when you're not scared. So you'll follow through when you are, you want to put safeguards into place to follow up. So you can't back out. Now uh, some best practices around this is again, a little bit like uh, the other tip it's success is scheduled. I say it all the time. So you know, those to-do lists are sucking the soul out of you. So, uh, instead of having something like that, really schedule it, you know, write it down, put it in your schedule of what you're doing, whether that's, uh, that getting that root canal done or cleaning the garage or whatever the thing is that you've been avoiding, you know, again, if it's a, if it's a talk with your partner or something, or just time with your partner, schedule it in. Okay, I'm just going to make it happen. I'm going to, you know, go home and this is what we're going to do. I'm going to go to lunch with my mother. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to schedule lunch. We're going to go. I'm just going to do it. Uh, There's a second uh, thing you can do is called eat the frog. This is an old Mark Twain quote that uh, motivational speaker Brian Tracy made pretty famous. And basically what it means is that you want to schedule your day so that you tackle the most annoying and dreaded thing on your to-do list first. So whatever you schedule first every day should be the thing you dislike the most. Now, the good news is once it's done, you're going to feel like a rock star the rest of your day. You're going to be like, I got, you know, Two things, bagels and a can of whoop ass and I'm out of bagels. You know, that's going to be you. You're going to be whooping ass because you just feel great when you've gotten done that big, horrible thing you've been avoiding and avoiding and avoiding. It just feels so good. And when you do that, you just start to do it more. You know, you start to uh, uh, tackle things more and more that were hard for you. Um, so do it first thing, eat the frog first thing in the day. (laughs) Now, also what happens is you have the most willpower and energy first thing. So your chances of actually doing a good job with the sucky thing are really good. If you do it first, the key is not to think about it. You become a Nike ad and just do it. I say all the time, you know, when I, I work out in the mornings, Monday through Friday, I get up really early. I go work out. I don't decide to work out every day. I do not. It's already been decided. I just go. Just I just do it. Um now it's a habit. Once you got a habit, you can do that. Before that, it's harder. And then my last strategy, I call you first. This this last strategy for you freezers, it, it means that you say your opinion first in every discussion. Put yourself out there right away. Stop waiting for everyone else to say what they want, because that just means that you change your response to fit. Instead, you be the first opinion out there. I know you be the first opinion out there. It's great. Okay. So you've got a lot of information. I'm not done. I'm not done with you. We've got a little tiny bit more. So hang in there. So I'm going to give you a final thing, which is my top strategy for dealing with your partner and getting them out of their fight, flight, or freeze mode. How do you like that? Really important, really great for getting them out of where they are. So your primary objective is to stay calm, but match emotion and not tone. I talk about this all the time. I call this the say yes first tool. And if you haven't already heard it, here's how it works. Let's say your partner is complaining that a coworker is completely horrible and gets special treatment. Uh, Your partner has complained about this before and you've given them lots of useful suggestions that they've ignored. Does This sound familiar, I know. Usually you'd respond with something like, you know, you keep complaining about this, but you won't do anything to make the situation better. I'm a little sick of hearing about it (laughs) or something to that effect. So this results in your partner getting even more angry, you know, now at you, right? Or just withdrawing completely and not wanting to speak with you anymore since you clearly don't understand their plight. You clearly don't understand this horribleness going on. So what I want you to do is say yes first, which means... I want you to see their side of things as best you can. Try to really listen with new ears. And your job is to empathize, is to say yes, is to agree and say something like, uh, oh, that sucks. Gosh, that sucks. I'm sorry you're dealing with this unfair situation, you know, whatever this thing is. And that's all you have to do. You're going to match your partner's emotion, but not their tone. In other words, you're not going to whine if they're whiny. You're not going to escalate your voice. Oh my God, that's horrible. You know, you're not going to scream, none of that stuff. So again, I, I talk about Say Yes First on other podcasts. I'm just repeating it here because it's a great way to get your partner out. Because what happens is when you connect in this way, what you're doing is you're telling your partner that you see the tiger, that you see the bad thing, and they will meet you there. So, yeah, that really sucks. Oh, I'm sorry that's still going on at work with Barbara. Or I'm sorry that, you know, your mother is still bugging you. I'm sorry that your dad is being a jerk. You know, when you do that, it doesn't mean you think they're right. You know, it doesn't mean it's right. It just means that you think your partner has the right to act this way. Like, in other words, that they are the right to feel how they feel. And I hope you do believe that because they do have the right to feel how they feel. And it doesn't mean that you think they should feel that way. You're in your head maybe going, oh my gosh, enough about, you know, this, your boss. Like, I'm so tired of hearing about your boss, you know, quit your job or do something else, whatever. But instead you get more with them. You're aligning with your partner. You're aligning with them. And again, you're matching this emotion, whatever their upset is, but not their tone, but not how upset they are or escalating it in any way. And I just have to tell you, it works so well to bring the person towards you because it, it, at the end of the day, and I'm going to wrap up our podcast in just a minute. At the end of the day, it's important to remember that your partner is trying to engage with you. When they're fight, you know, fighting with you, when they're running away, believe it or not, they're trying to engage cuz what they're trying to do actually in that case is when they're f- fleeing is they're trying to avoid the conflict. They're tr- And same thing with freezing. They just want to have things be okay, which is really meaning they want to connect. They want to have a space where everybody is happy and we're still together and everything's good. That's what, no matter what response people have, that's what they're trying to do. So if their true motivation is to feel connected to you, you got to think of that. If you fight, f- flee, or freeze... They feel the disconnect and will continue to push and control in their efforts to bond and unite with you, or they'll continue to run in their efforts to avoid, you know, this big conversation you have to have. So make sure they know you're listening and you want to understand and be in it with them. And this say yes first thing does that really easily. And it brings people from that fight, flight, or freeze response in their limbic, over to their prefrontal cortex, that's what it does. It opens up that channel. I've talked about this before more in another podcast. I'm not going to do it here, but it opens up that channel so that people can actually listen. They can problem solve again. They can be creative. They can find new solutions. They can't do it in that fight, flight, or fleas. Okay. Yeah, I know. So you got a lot of information today, people. You so were amazing hanging in there this long. So I want to say just a couple more things and I swear we'll sign off. One is, I'm really excited to share that my new book is coming out soon, The 10 Keys to Being Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing. If you are interested in getting on the wait list for that, you can go to the website. I'll put a link in the show notes and you can link, uh, put yourself on the wait list for the book and uh, you can get it that way. Uh, The other thing I wanted to, I know, share is that uh, I'm hoping that you're following me on Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram or somewhere else. I'd love to hear, you know, from you. I'd love for you to to follow me on Facebook or, you know, catch on, (laughs) Get, get in and get some daily inspiration and education. I do Facebook live videos. Sometimes I give little hacks and things. Uh, so please, you know, be part of that. And lastly, I really hope that you share this information with others. You know, my goal is to create world peace. I talk about it all the time. I believe if we all had happy relationships, we'd have world peace. So if you can pass on the, anything that I write, uh, anything that you listen to a podcast and pass that information on to family and friends, the links, the whatever it is, the URL, that would be amazing. And I'd really appreciate it. (sighs) And I think that's it for today. Thank you. Thank you for hanging in there. And I will, uh, you know, connect with you soon on the next broadcast. All right. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast at www.abbymedcalf.com.